Chapter 2. Cycle of Seven. 1. Memo. The week stitched into itself, renewing some semblance of the cycle of seven. Rook set his gun on his desk. It made a hard thunk. He observed the deadly hardware in the darkness of his office and rolled tension out of his shoulders. In his timeless black suit, Rook Black was architectural and, just like the chess piece his father had named him after, he was solid and tall, a fortress in motion. Photographs, drawings, and sketches of rookish castles smothered his walls in dense layers. His desk, inlaid with a chess board, had been custom-made for his father, the greatest chess champion the world had ever known by his mother. Rook never knew her. She had died while giving birth to him during the great hurricane. Rook clicked on a lamp. As the yellow light burst, his shadow cast, brooding high against a wall as if it was watching him. And in the quantum world, where even photons had shadows, in a sense, it really was. Space and time were regenerating and overriding the previous week, but Rook did not sense this acutely. Sensing an organic reality as tactile, as fully physically real, was common in his culture, and, just like the sensation of gravity, he appreciated the constant of spatiotemporal change only as a soft abstraction. The detective glanced from his gun to where a small memo rested on the desk. The sight of the memo made his loins twitch. Rook, though profoundly cerebral, was a man physically ripe with lust, and he had hired his assistant, Angela, in part, so he could look at her. She knew it. The memo was in her handwriting, and it looked like her, sinuous and soft. He, in some ways, looked like his gun, in his bluing, hard jaw, of a metal meets testosterone. In his imagination, Fetish illuminated the sight of the two of them together, limbs tangled and made him hard. He reached for a fifth of whiskey and slowly poured himself a neat glass as he savored his sexual tension. It was a testimony of his selfish attraction to the sensuous aspects of living that allowed him, as it did for most others, to view life through the hard candy shell of classical reality, to let go of the illusion, to transcend the illusion into the stratosphere of the Buddha's enlightenment, would be, on the rare occasion he thought of it, an utter bore. 
he lifted the memo under the lamp. Yellow light splashed over it. It read, Shadow, and gave the address of 160 Amherst, East Orange. A mere block away, a dozen members of a gang thrust a bag over Angela's head, her cinnamon hair tufting from under the black vinyl as someone cinched it tight. She could not scream, and the silence did not reach his ears. Somehow, still, he heard it. He looked up to the door as if expecting a knock. There was none. Yesterday and tomorrow washed over each other like waves, and within this sea of feedback, crime was notoriously difficult to solve. As much as a man with a heart like a black tattoo could, he loved it. He unbuckled his belt, unzipped his pants, and reached in to stroke the pleasant ache. Four minutes later, with a grunting sigh, he came into his bare hand. Then he reached for his whiskey and drank it down.